this is Steve Balton. You are tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Josh and Sam from Greta Van Fleet. This was a really fun and wild conversation. These guys are old friends, and man, it was a blast catching up with them on everything from the politician we would most want to do acid with, to inventing the game show, When to Give a Fuck or Not, as well as talking about the new album, why it will eventually be a movie, Florence and the Machine, so much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Are we in the right place? Is this is this the right podcast? Is this the podcast? Is this oh my god, the FBI is fucking wild. Oh Jesus, not again. <laughs> I hate when they do that. What up, guys? Where's the, the joint is being cased. Let's talk about They're something. casing the joint. Boring. It's been long <laughs> enough. How you been? I've been good, man. How you guys been? Pretty good. I mean, you know, I don't know. Keeping educated. We went right. back to college. Uh, we went back to really? No, I got a degree. I just <laughs> working on a degree in gynecology, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you might enjoy that one. So, all right. Well, you know, it's funny. There are multiple ways of keeping educated. So, I mean, also seeing the world, traveling around, doing all these things. Now, wait, you guys are in Nashville these days, correct? Yes. Yes, we are in Nashville. What what prompted the move? Well, I suppose we needed to the life and death of country music. Yeah, we needed to do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I suppose we needed somewhere to hunker down uh, in the pa- pandemic country, and uh, this made a lot of sense. You know, we're in and out of Nashville all of the time, just because you know so much. Of, Industry is here. You know, our company's based out of Nashville, of course. Uh, all of them. All of, all of them. Yeah. All of our companies. So, uh, <laughs> they're huge, huge companies. <laughs> no, I, 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 but that made sense. And I, I can, I, I fear like, <laughs> I fear like hell domestication. I do not like the idea of, of being in one place or, but so, but I, I, I've just been renting. I, I don't know. I, I may, may buy a house, but I, I'd just like the idea of being a troubadour more like, you know. So how then how have you handled the last year of not being able to be a troubadour? Like this. Ah! <laughs> kind of like that, really. Yeah, you've been doing that a lot. Just like yeah, that. Yeah. No, I I mean doing a lot of writing. Tell me though, because that's usually that's usually how you warm up your voice. Too, yeah, so. right. No, I'm warmed up now. That's all it really takes. No, I, I, I kind of just keeping busy and writing and, and playing and I don't know, sort of building out album packaging and and just sort of visual interpretations of that sonic aesthetic thing, you know, that kind of shit. Writing songs, making love, <laughs> drinking wine, drinking wine, smoking a little grass. It's been, it's been, it's been busy. <laughs> Going out to the pond. Now, wait, yeah, how much of this record was done before the pandemic started? Most of it. Yeah, okay. we, started, we started recording in the uh, summer of 2019 and then we're pretty much finished by 2020. And just recording, um, find, trying to find the right amount of time to record um, in between just vigorous touring. Um, we were only going to have time to do about 10 songs. And I guess some silver lining uh, with, uh, you know, 2020 is that we had time to add additional two songs to make 12. Uh, and I can't imagine the album without them. But uh, yeah, I think there were necessary additions. Um, so what, what were the song, last two additions? The Barbarians and Caravel. Do you have a particular favorite track? 
I suck with song titles because I tend to listen to everything all the way through. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so. It is. I always like to listen to things like all the way through from start to finish. So it's funny though, when you guys go back and listen to it and hold on, I'm going to look at the album sequence then and I'm going to tell you by number, but I am curious when you guys go back and listen to it, do you feel a difference in those last two songs? And it's so interesting because I've, I mean, in the last year, dude, I have talked with literally hundreds, if not thousands of artists who are like, well, shit, we're home. We got nothing else to do. We're bored. We may as well do interviews. And it's been so fascinating to talk to how everybody has handled this. But one thing is that John Bon Jovi said the exact same thing as you guys. The record was done. They had an arena tour planned. So yeah. everything was set. And then he's like, all right, well, we can't go on the fucking road. So I may as well just write a couple of more songs that felt more timely. So did you feel like that was the, the case for you guys as well? That it did feel like the newer songs felt more... Um, you know, I guess basically that they, they felt like they feel newer to you, if that um, makes sense. They feel more written in real time. Per, perhaps uh, for the largely, I think that they really blend in sonically with the other songs. It's all in the same direction. However, I would say musically that there's some kind of interesting maturity to those two songs. Uh, like in Caraval, there's uh, the first half of the second chorus uh, gets taken over by strings. That all comes back in. And uh, Barbarians, we kind of pulled back more on the instrumentation rather than layering a thousand things in. And uh, I think that's kind of a testament to where we're going as a band. <clears throat> but they did sound, um, they did sound like the Garden's Gate album. That was a beautiful thing. It was sort of like the cherry on top almost is, is what it really seemed like. So <clears throat> it definitely fit the world of that album. But um but yeah, they do seem a little bit more contemporary, but it's just a strange album in the way that everything was, the time everything was written in. We have, like, Heat Above was written five years ago. We never put it on an album because we didn't think that it really suited the the demeanor of those particular albums or, you know, EPs or whatever you want to call them. Um, but, but then you've got tracks on this album that were written in the studio, you know, but uh, is, is, and then you've got Caravelle and Barbarians, which was written last year. So it just seems like there's this kind of spread of time as far as everything is, is it was written. So I don't know. That's a little bit of a strange element. And I also think it all kind of lives under the same idea because it is the same idea. We kind of create the songs under the aesthetic and yeah. the feeling and the meaning of what the album is. So it's interesting for you then when you go back and hear it, you know, cause I talk about this with artists all the time too, by the way, I didn't want to avoid your question. I really like, cause like I said, I suck with track titles. I go through the middle six, seven. I like that combination of tears of rain, stardust chords. Ah, yeah. Nice. nice. You're one of the real ones. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> Well, I listen, like I said, I listen to everything all the way through, but it's funny. I really like Broken Bells as well. And I like the fact, you know, what was interesting to me about this record before we come on to this is it's funny because you and I, you know, obviously we did so many interviews for the first record and we talked about your folk influences and all that. And I feel like where people hear prog in this, I hear the melding of the hard rock and the folk. And that kind of turns into what other people anticipate as prog. But it's funny because I feel like, you know, you can, if you, if you know you guys and have talked about it, you can feel like the Dylan influences and some of that singer songwriter stuff in the same way that, you know, when you had hard rock bands that go in the direction of the more acoustic stuff. 
That's yeah. pretty profound. I don't think anybody's put it quite like that. But uh, yeah, I always was had a difficulty seeing Prague and what we're doing. But I think that's a I think that's a, a great um, perspective that you have. I think that you're probably certainly onto something. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you guys go back and hear it. Do you hear this that more of those singer songwriter influences that we talked about last time? Whether it was Dylan, whether it was like folk stuff of the early seventies. Yes, oh, absolutely for certain. Yeah, that's like DNA. You know, that just kind of lives with us, and that seems to be how things translate. Yeah, and I think it came from a lack of stimulation. We kind of got bored with uh, the simplicity of a lot of uh, contemporary rock music. Yeah. And uh, that's not really, truly what we are. We're definitely a rock and roll band, but uh, the Battle of Gardens Gate really delves more into the song realm. More, it's more songy. Well, it's, well, and it's not, it's the arrangements and things. Those aren't traditional arrangements by any means. And then there's, of course, no real, I guess, uh, format. There's not a format. No. So... That's kind of the thing. It's, I guess we, we know all of that music. We know what those rules were. And I think we're pretty comfortable breaking all of those rules. Yeah, yeah we know how to write like a perfect rock hit. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even need a chorus. No, no chorus <laughs> necessary. All right, wait, what's a perfect rock hit to you? And if you know that, then you have been, you know, you're well ahead of the game because I was interviewing Robbie Krieger from The Doors earlier today about Light My Fire. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it's my first song. He's like, if I could have ever written another song like that, I would have written them, you know? So, you know, you guys are That's ahead of the fire. game. What's a perfect rock hit to you? Light my, light my fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect rock we met, we met Robbie at a vet paw event, you know, about, about a while back, years ago. But we were, gonna, we were going to do a couple, it was a, a charity event. So we were going up to do a couple songs and, and uh, I'd seen Robbie across the, the, you know, the room and I thought, well, that looks like Robbie Krieger. And then we kind of got going. We, we this place had a studio. We ended up kind of hanging out and uh, getting our shit together. We were going on stage and we walked out to get on stage. He goes, and he says, hey, I'm Robbie. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's Robbie Krieger. Yeah. And so we get up there and then these guys start playing Doors shit. No, said, I'm sorry, Robbie, they can't help themselves. But and then after we just kind of hung out in the studio together and that was pretty grand. It's a very sweet guy. I got his number. I'll give him a call right now. You should. He should. Oh, that's funny. He doesn't have call waiting. So if it, if he's on the phone, you just keep getting a cell phone message that says, oh, the number you're dialing is busy. Try back. <laughs> It's Steve. Steve's on the line. <laughs> but now it's interesting. All right. Well, then wait. What what's the, you know, what do you think of the Doors influence? What are the favorite couple of Doors songs, you know? Oh my God. The Doors were Unknown Soldier, I think, is my favorite right now. Uh, that one is really grand. For for me, the the Doors, um, I think their live stuff is my my favorite. Yeah, it's so true. wicked and fucking wild. My favorite stuff is the really dark stuff, like Riders on a Storm, or even This Is the End has this really wonderful euphoric sort of psychedelic. And it actually has a similar feeling to what the Gardens Gate is. And then, of course, they have to put that in Apocalypse Now, and then it's like, okay, magic time, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is magic. That's, that is magic. Here's um, an interesting tidbit for you, though. Robbie was telling me that Light My Fire originally was in Apocalypse Now, and they cut it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. He's like, damn. He's like, I wish I would have stayed in there. But it's funny because, you know, I was kind of joking about it since I had interviewed Robbie earlier, but when I look at it, 
there is a correlation between you guys and the doors in the sense of like that sort of expounding, expanding boundaries with sound. And I think that, you know, it's funny as I've talked about this with them a lot. And when you're a kid, right, you hear the doors and all you hear is Jim Morrison and the poetry and shit. And, you know, and it's so funny because I remember hearing the end for the first time when I was like 13 years old at like two o'clock in the morning on an LA radio station. That song scared the fucking shit out of me at two in the morning. But you know, when you get older, you realize musically they were so adventurous and there was nothing really kind of like them. So for you guys, as you do it a record like this, you know, talk about those influences that come in from, you know, again, it doesn't have to be necessarily similar in sound, but that push boundaries and they're like, okay, we can do this and we can do this and that, you know, feel comfortable evolving because this record does feel like such an evolution. Yeah, we've always loved the people who push the boundaries because I don't know, you get bored with what exists. That's the entire purpose of the art in the first place. And I think that there's a reminder that there's something that's a bit like a lightning rod going on when you've got controversy. And I I know we've seen plenty of it and I hope this album pisses a lot of people off. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's kind of, you know, generally what, response seems to be is that you know they can't be doing this shit you know it's all yeah it's also really tough to say what really influenced us to make this record and honestly Mm. i just said that we weren't necessarily inspired to make the record based off of other music and now i think that we kind of were inspired to make the record through the story that we knew was uh, going to kind of be fabricated and, and created uh, and kind of this is kind of like a quilt. It's kind of like a, yeah, a we gave, scene by scene. We gave ourselves a bit of context and it wasn't sort of, let's say I have to make an album like this or like that. We wanted to sort of fill a void. It was something we wanted to do for a while. Sort of the natural inclination of the artist is to sort of provide what the universe does not. It's like, well, we want to hear this. I would love this to be an album. And the idea is just sort of to make something more cinematic and on a bigger scope. And then I, of course, very reliant on just good songwriting. You know, I really just lean heavily on that. I love good melody. I love strong vocal. I just, that's kind of where I'm kind of coming from. It, it wasn't supposed, it's not an ambient fucking album, but nor is it an escapist album. It's not necessarily its function isn't to, uh, you know, tune in, turn on, drop out, but more like challenge you a little bit. I mean, yes, there is a little bit of the elements of those, but it should be a bit challenging. Yeah. It's not a record that you can put on casually when you're like, I don't know, trying to relax or something. It's, (laughs) uh, it's something that you actually have to turn on to listen to it. You have to become present. And I love things like that. I love to be stimulated in a way that, you can turn on because I think a lot of the time as humans, we spent most of our life kind of in autopilot. It's like we're robots most of the time until something comes along that's intriguing enough to smack you in the face. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because I appreciate that. I was talking to Mike Posner not long ago. Love that dude. And he put out a record, uh, Operation Close at the end of last year. It's like a whole, you know, thematic thing. And he, he actually, it says at the beginning of the record, if you don't have 36 minutes to sit down and listen to this all the way through, then please shut it off and come back when you do. And I think in this era, when everybody's so used to streaming, I think there's a lot to be said for 
putting something together. So it's interesting for you guys when you go back and listen to this all the way through, because like you said, it was written piecemeal over a few years. Are there things that sort of surprise you or, or does it surprise you how much continuity there is throughout the 12 songs? It's, it has a, it has a, it's very cohesive as somehow. Far, well, I think as far as the songwriting is concerned, each song is so very different from the last, but in the way that it, the, the, the production sounds or the way that the performances translate, uh, they all seem very contemporary and they all seem they fit in one moment in time. And it, it does sound like a, a, a materialized album. So I think that it's, it's something about music sort of transforming through time. I think if we would have put, put those, played those songs three years ago, they would have sounded very different. But I think the fact that they it all came together in a fairly short period of time, as far as recording is concerned, it did, I think it does really sound like one body of work. So it's interesting for you when you go back and hear it then, is there a through line through the whole record? Are there things that you notice that, that you know, sort of tie it all together and that cohesiveness? Maybe thematically as well. Yeah, thematically, I see war as being a really uh, uh, prevalent theme. Um, but yeah, I suppose sonically, uh, a lot of the way things were mic'd is a big part of it. And the, and the, and the way that I think that it was, I didn't say engineered because it sounds so manufactured, but I mean, it really is just sort of the way we approached recording the specific instruments and obviously there's slight variations it's slightly different from track to track but those are all live performances uh, in one space yeah know? i think we also pushed the technology that's available right now to its absolute <laughs> yeah. limit and we combined things that were created maybe in the 20s or 30s and we used things that were from 2020 we used like the whole spectrum of technology which i i which we have a lot of fun with which I think also translates really well or is very appropriate for this album because it, there are those ancient themes and there's very, very contemporary modern sort of themes as well. It always applies. Let me blur the line of, of time again, you know? So it's interesting for you guys then, you know, now that we're reaching that point where apparently we're going to have live music again soon or we're coming close, it's funny, rather than ask about, you know, particular songs you're most excited to play live because it is such a cohesive record, and as you say, it's meant to be challenging and to listen to all the way through. Any chance that you guys would do the record start to finish, a la like a Pink Floyd The Wall or who, Quadrophenia? Oh, much talks. Yes, it's in the works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's, that's kind of the way that it has to live. Uh, if it's, if it, it would be doing it kind of an injustice if, uh, if not. Yeah, and it's like you, you, when you play to a live audience, there's going to be so many tracks that they're going to want to hear and there's so many tracks that you have time to play, really. And it's, so it's, I think that's always going to be just sort of an a, a amalgamation of, of different tracks. But when, you, when it comes to an album, it's, you, you could play it live to an audience, but you can't be doing that every night. It, it, it's not really how we work. You know? I, we like to keep things shifting. So I think recording it as a live album film is kind of really important because I think it, it, it'll help solidify that in a moment in time or encapsulate it uh, and, and force people to see the thing from beginning to, to the end, start to finish. And also be able to stylize it uh, much more heavily than we would be able to do uh, 
in a, in a real, real live setting. Right. It'd be something it's more like artistic, uh, you know, it's like, a high art kind of thing. Like live, live at Pompeii, I think taking, you know, an idea like that and doing something uh, very relevant to the 21st century. And the idea is so uh, appealing that I'm almost, I, I should do it now. Tempted to do it right now. No, I think even going back and doing Peaceful Army would be great, but that was a a bit of a different time. So I don't know if that's something that we'll ever do. But yeah, for this album, certainly. Also, it's going to be really interesting to see how, and this is the first time I've thought about this, uh, see how the Garden's Gate songs and the anthem of the Peaceful Army songs and everything, Greta Van Fleet, live together and kind of coexist. And I think that's going to be the most fun is blending those songs or going from one to the other or taking two parts of two songs and interconnecting them. We can, there's a yeah. very big wealth of oh, opportunity. 100%. It all is just sort of like swimming in this fishbowl. I think and it's, it is a, it's just, they're just silk, each thread in this fabric. And then, and the, the Battle of Guards Gate really is kind of an extension of, Anthem of the Peaceful Army. It is sort of this almost a little conceptual and uh, it, it, it's a, it, I think is kind of exists in that same sort of parallel universe that gives us the platform to be able to communicate these ideas through symbology and, and talk in metaphors and, and analogies cover all of these archetypes and human themes and and so I, so I think that the kind of dances together. I always see all of the Greta Van Fleet stuff to me in my head is like those show posters that they paste up on 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 the street and they keep pasting over them and over time they just get put or pulled back and you've got just this collage of 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 time and and colors and it's really interesting. That is interesting and it's funny for you guys then. I mean, and what you were just saying about you know the two of them sort of uh, you know coexisting, how the two records will coexist. It's interesting. I talk about this with artists all the time too. And it's funny because, you know, you guys toured what for a year, year and a half, two years, you know, and I'm sure at points there were songs that you were just like, oh my God, if I have to play that fucking song again, (laughs) I'm so sick of it. And yet what's interesting, I talk about this with artists all the time too, is sometimes, you know, when you have new material to play, it also reinvigorates the older songs because you're not sick of it anymore. So for you guys, like, are there songs off the first album that you're like, oh, okay, now I'm curious to see. You mentioned it'll be interesting to see how they live together. But are there specific songs that come to mind that you start to, like, off the top of your head, you envision the pairings? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of happening with the WP and, and the Peaceful Army all together, you know. Especially sure. Just going and taking it live. Like, we would, play, we would play Love Reliever, Take Your Believer, and in the middle of the breakdown... We would stop and boom, 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 and go into the entirety of Highway Two, and then the outro comes of the of yeah. Then the Taker Believer Take part. Taker Believer, yeah, <laughs> right. So doing stuff like that, I don't know, maybe t- perhaps taking Flower Power and interjecting it within, like my love or something, right? Yeah, who knows? It's going to be exciting to see, you know, and especially when we start toying with um, sort of intertwining and things together and and it, it, uh, the Weight of Dreams was actually a track that we were playing live for about a year or so and it was initially called Black Black Exposition and it was just a transition piece the vocal and the, and the melody and the lyrics are different on the album than they are live it'll be interesting for people to sort of to see what people think when they look at two very different songs with the same kind of backbone or foundation but yeah I think it, it that's going to be 
curious. It also is a testament to the live show and what that is uh, compared to an album. When you're doing an album, it seems that it kind of has to be exactly how you want it. It has to be perfect because it will live forever in that form. But a live show is kind of like a delicious plate of food. It's like it exists in this mm -hmm. moment and it does this thing, but it will never be again. That one thing will never exist again. You can document it. You can videotape it, record it. It's not the same thing. It's the feedback loop between the people and the, the humans and, uh, and that's space ultimate and artistic uh, expression. And excess. <laughs> Very excessive. So it's interesting for you guys, when you think of the idea of putting this to the stage, are there live shows that sort of inspire you, shows that you've seen in terms of also the way that you watched artists sort of, you know, we talked about this earlier, evolve, but those artists that, you know, when you think of the great live show or the way they bring albums together, you know, it's funny because I asked about playing it start to finish. I remember mm. Green Day at the beginning of American Idiot, you know, because it was a conceptual album. What they did, they did three underplay shows where they did the album start to finish in small venues and then did the regular tour. So there's, there's precedent for doing different kinds of things with it, but are there live shows for you that really stand out or artists that you really, like when you talk about the ultimate live show for this, that you think back to? Damn, mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, Florence and the Machine, that's a pretty I, fucking good show. That's a spectacular show. I mean, we kind of run into them a couple of times just sharing some stages over, you know, some touring years just in and out. But we watched their show a few times. It's really a great rock and roll band. Is, great yeah. rock and roll concert performance. So it's, that's pretty great. I think it was Argentina, Lollapalooza, maybe 2019, 20, probably 2019. Mm. And uh, we went out to see Arctic Monkeys. And uh, I was kind of high. And I was also very terrified at what I saw as we were walking back. These people who have been there for 10, 12 hours covered in wet toilet paper and screaming. Uh. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. But uh, yeah, there's some strong performances there. Uh, <laughs> star, star Crawler. Star Crawler. <laughs> Oh uh, that's some strong performance. Well, and then I always have to go back to the way that, like, you know, James Brown or Elvis Presley would held themselves on stage. Even, even Aretha Franklin, there's such a presence to that. And Elvis could just sort of stand there and, 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 and just be very casual and very cool. And James, James Brown is so uh, acrobatic and such a showman, you know? And both, yeah. of them, both of them had wonderful jumpsuits, I think. And, uh, and Aretha, she's, she's, that's another thing. She, again, had sort of almost that thing that maybe Beyonce might even have. It's just like this really beautiful woman power. You're just standing up there blowing the fucking roof off of the place. And uh, she's just really very passionate, you know, and that, that, that's pretty incredible. But again, she, she could just hold herself very, very casual. But the thing that Florence Welsh does is, almost fairy-like, you know? Just kind of throws herself into the, into the audience a bit. It's and pretty mind-blowing. It just all flows in motion, and it's it's really great. No, I absolutely fucking love them. I, I, amazing band, amazing artist. And I think that's been so interesting to me. It's funny, because I like that as we're talking about evolution, because that's one of those bands to me. Like The National. I love The National as well. Those are two bands to me that started off very song-oriented, both Florence and The National. Who the hell would have ever thought that those two would come out to be maybe the best live bands of the century? 
Because, yeah. you know, they didn't start out that way. Like, again, they start out very song-oriented. So it's inspiring to see how they sort of grew into that role of being like arena headliners and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. There's a lot of pressure. Well, it's interesting that you said, by the way, all right, I want to go back to something you said earlier in terms of pissing a lot of people off. So far, what <laughs> song off this record has pissed people off the most? That's a million questions. I hope, uh, I hope Heat Above... And it sounds funny, but one of our kind of underlying goals as a band is to change the way that uh, music is kind of given to people. Because we know that there's a select few of, you know, industry uh, goons that sit on top of a high tower and tell people what to listen to. Um, but putting out a song like Heat Above as a radio single uh, really shakes up the game and it really kind of messes with what everybody kind the of format. The, yeah, format. It's the format. It's the format. And what you've seen uh, rock radio do over the past pandemic was uh, actually become a lot more successful because they're playing different things now. And they're playing stuff. And yeah, it's like, damn, we could have definitely told you that, that that could have saved rock <laughs> radio. But yeah, so I think that. Uh, that probably uh, not only maybe confuses people as a rock single, uh, but I, I hope it shakes up the game and I hope it kind of makes people second guess what is what should they be playing on the radio. I love that because I, when I was talking to Robbie Krieger earlier about Light My Fire, we were talking about the fact that, you know, how the fuck does a seven-minute song become a radio hit and how it was an instant hit live, but playing it, on radio, no one thought that it would ever get played as a seven-minute song. So it's interesting for you guys then, one or two of the favorite sort of rule-breaker songs over the years that, you know, and again, you look at a song like Stairway to Heaven, it's like, how does the song that's 10 minutes long, you know, become the most popular song in rock radio of all time because no one thinks it's ever, ever going to get played on radio. So, so it's interesting for you guys looking at a Light My Fire or whatever, funny one or two of the favorite rule breaker songs of all time just those songs that like you look back on them and it's like how the fuck did this become a hit but it's awesome Rebel Rouser. <laughs> Rebel even Rouser. like a rolling stone um yeah like yeah. a rolling stone one of my favorites is uh, low spark of high heeled boys great song um a day in the life <laughs> yeah yeah like what the fuck like the golden age of radio is certainly over but who knows maybe it will be revived, maybe uh, in a different form. Perhaps. I think it is. I think it. Uh, there's a lot changing about music, and we're at the. We're, we embrace that. We embrace what streaming is, and we uh, embrace the new ways that uh, people come in contact with music, because that just means more music. It it does, and it raises the bar for everybody. You know, it's it's a, it's a free market, but it's a very competitive industry. And yeah, I think that that that's also very inspiring. I think that uh, if something is death-defying, then it's appealing to us. So, you know, maybe that's, we're going in a, a good direction here. <laughs> well, it's funny. Do you feel like right now it's interesting talking with you guys, you know, now after all the interviews we did for the last record and everything, and it's been a couple of years, you know, and obviously things have changed so much, but also you guys are a few years older. Do you feel like you're just enjoying things more now? You sort of embrace like, okay, <laughs> this is who we are. Some people are going to love it. Some people aren't going to love it. Fuck them. And we're just going to do what we want to do and just have fun. And I think it's a very natural thing, as I talk about with artists all the time. Every time you get older, you just get more comfortable with yourself. Do you feel like you guys are enjoying it more right now? 
I think enjoying it perhaps in a different way. We've always, we've always embraced or have had that attitude toward art and, and consumption of art. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that you, you, you continue to care less about the unimportant bullshit as you, you get older. So I, I, think, I think so. I think you get a little bit better adjusted, you know? When to give a fuck. And when to not. Right, exactly. <laughs> the, the forgotten soliloquy of Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, no, that, was, that was very profound. It was very actually. popular at the time as well. <laughs> All right, I feel like that's also a great book title. So let's, let's mark this down. Later on when there's the Greta Van... Greta, I can't talk today. I've already done two mega <laughs> interviews. But when there is the Greta Van Fleet memoir, I really think it needs to be called When to Give a Fuck, When Not to Give a Fuck. <laughs> you have to help write it too. It's gonna be good. <laughs> All right. So, so in in the short summation before we wrap up, give me one example of each. One moment when to give a fuck. One moment when not to give a fuck. When oh, to goodness. give a fuck. I think uh, in the studio when there's a disagreement. Um. Well, whether it be uh, a songwriting. Uh, a disagreement, uh, some kind of issue in that <laughs> realm. Uh, I think it's important to uh, find common ground and to reach a conclusion. So that would be a give a fuck. Ding. That would <laughs> now a when a, a label goon comes to listen to the album <laughs> and give you pointers and then compare it directly to Pink Floyd, you don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't give a fuck. This is like the greatest game show ever made. By the way, I love that analogy because all I'm thinking is you're talking about the second one, the when the label goon shows up, is the scene in Almost Famous where Jimmy <laughs> Fallon shows up as the new manager, you know? Yeah. And yes. Uh, so maybe you'll play this game show with Jimmy, you know, although I think you'd have to edit it quite a bit. And then you, <laughs> what you just said about the songwriting disagreement cracked me up because I was talking with Serge Tankian, who's a friend, and he was talking about the fact, he's like, don't you sometimes just wish in a band you could just be like, no, that fucking sucks. I'm taking a walk and then come back and just be like, everything is cool. But then you always have to be diplomatic. But he's like, sometimes you just wish you could just be like, dude, that fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. Yeah. Art is subjective. I can really, I would enjoy seeing <laughs> Fallon on television going, wow, that was fucking blowout. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that would piss some executives off, though. But you can probably like do that. It. We like that. Yeah, that's we good. like that. When to give a fuck, when not to give a fuck. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think in fact that's going to be my new podcast. I think that's <laughs> really good. But all right. So w when people hear this record all the way through, what is what do you hope they take from it? For the people who don't get pissed off from it, from the people who like it, what's okay. what's the best compliment you could hear on social media, or the best compliment you could hear from people after they listen to this record all the way through? I listened to it loud and wow, it was beautiful and frightening. I think that's what it is. And maybe beauty melts away and then, or fear melts. I can't see, maybe I've done three fucking mega interviews. <laughs> it's hard to flip into second, second person or something. I, I hope it's uh, frightening and beautiful and then there's sort of beauty is left. And mutiny. I hope it challenges people and I hope they take away a lot of really. Uh, very important things for themselves. And it's the most important thing of all is that people have their own original interpretations of the tracks. I think that's the most rewarding the intention thing. isn't to have one fucking, you know, point. That you're yeah. Making. There's no one theme or one idea in each song. There's yeah, that's not the point. Many. That's not the point of any of 
our music, uh, it's not supposed to have one point. It's not supposed to be one insular takeaway where we tell people what to think. The music is a vehicle to uh, make people intrigued to think. And so I think the most rewarding thing is seeing somebody's interpretation of like, let's say uh, the Age of Machine video and uh, seeing how close that is to what we were thinking because it does translate. And that's the best thing ever is that's the, that's the way that people communicate. It's very rewarding when you know that somebody is understanding what you're saying. All right. Well, last question. What was the last record you guys heard or the first record you guys heard that had that impact on you where you felt like, cause I know exactly what you're talking about where that person is like, you almost feel like they're inside your head. They're like, wait, how did they know exactly what I was thinking? Yeah, well, on uh, the beach, on the beach, fucked me up for a while. Oh, nice. Um, it, every every now and again, uh, an album comes into your life or a piece of work or something, and it really rattles you. And when I was younger, I never appreciated it. I didn't. I didn't like it. But I just recently, uh, over the pandemic, listened to it all the way through. I got stoned and listened to it, and it. Yeah, it messed me up. It made me really question what music is and what what art is. It's Neil Young is good at doing that. Reevaluating what I think. <laughs> all things must pass had me in a fetal position. That that's something. That's that's another one of the dangerous pieces of art that are really really grand. You know. Yeah. That almost really translates like a double album in a way. Yeah. I'm uh, curious because now that we're talking about the subject of art, and we got to wrap up. But one film for each of you that has that, or one book mm. doesn't have to be a film, film or book that has that same. Because I like what you're talking about with the dangerous portion of art. Because yeah. I agree, that's like the best thing is those films that, or any work of art that challenges you, that makes you like. I'm reading Haruki Murakami right now, my favorite author. He just put out a new book, and it's like he's so perfect at that, at just totally fucking with your mind in the best way. That's grand. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how cliche it is, but 2001 A Space Odyssey, as far as a piece of cinema is concerned, I have to keep rewatching that. I keep coming back to that. It is such a magnificent work of art. Um, I'm going back. Uh, I think Brave New World, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, as far as literature is concerned, really knocked me upside the head. Apocalypse Now, as we were talking about. Yeah, great picture. It's about as you know heavy as it gets. That's big cinema. I can't think of one person that wouldn't want to go uh, indirect that movie. <laughs> Who would say, now nah, I'm turning it down. Coward. A coward would say that. <laughs> All right, by the way, we ever going to see a movie version of the Battle of Gardens Gate? I think you, you could look forward to one day maybe seeing a, a film adaptation of the world of the discography of Greta Van Fleet, where some of the tracks are interpreted in a more classical sense. And you have characters and, and themes from, from that world. All right. I think Terry Gilliam almost. <laughs> so Terry, who would be the dream person to direct it? Would it be, Ter well, is Terry still, okay. Terry's it's around. Me. It would be me. I, would. I think Terry's around, yeah. <laughs> me, I would direct that fucking film. <laughs> I think that you can find artists who are starting to be like putting out records that can be anthologized into Netflix series. So will we oh, ever yeah. see Greta Van Fleet, the Netflix series? I'd like to see, I'd like to see that myself. I would definitely, we would definitely be very, very involved. We are neurotic when it comes to artistic controls. 
So that at least you can look forward to. Yeah. Be massive pain in the ass. That's the one thing we can guarantee. <laughs> Very good at that. And one thing that I've I've noticed going off of that is that the attention span is kind of coming back in some ways. I think people are like ready to give themselves uh, to something that's a little bigger. I think people are kind of tired of being fed kind of bullshit. No, I think there's truth to that because I also think it comes from the pandemic and people having more time. And it's like, I've talked about this with, again, hundreds of artists. And it's like, you know, basically what's going to happen is you're going to have people who either reprioritize, you know, most people are going to have evolved and grown, or you're going to get the occasional douchebag who's still like, I need the right wristband for the right Coachella party, you know? But for most people, they will have grown and evolved. And that means reprioritizing things. So for each of you, what's been the biggest takeaway you've had from the pandemic? Like the biggest takeaway you've had approaching life? I think there's, a, there's always, you, you always need time to slow down and think. Consider yeah. everything, question everything. I've learned to, I think kind of, I, I don't know, time is a weird concept. I mean, we, I, I've been thinking a lot over the pandemic and I, I think some of it, there's so many different conclusions I've kind of come across, but it, I guess, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, it's kind of gratitude is really the important thing. I think it's sort of like you, you'll get where you need to be regardless uh, and, and knowing where you want to be or where you're going is really important, but not to be concerned about that and to be grateful every single day, you know, and, and to acknowledge that, that you're in a good place and things are all right. So I think that that's kind of where I'm at. Truth. Cool. I know we've been on for a while. It's always a pleasure. Always interesting. Anything you guys want to add we did not touch upon because we covered a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. It's a new world out there. Brave new world. <laughs> Step into it. We're breaking down the walls. Lean into it hard. New ones. That's right. That's right. Tear down the uh, wall. Tear down the motherfucker. Remember that, like, the, what was that Jefferson, Jefferson airplane, airplane track? <laughs> what was the that track? song? Tear down the wall. Tear down the wall. Tear uh, down I, I love the fucking symmetry because actually I just talked to Grace Slick on Friday. Okay, yeah. Jefferson Airplanes is one of my absolute all-time favorite bands, hands down. No, no question about it. Dude, um, was it on Volunteers? I think it was. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was on Volunteers because I knew it was the same, tra- uh, same album as Wooden Ships. I think it was one of the early ones. Yeah. We Can Be Together. We Can Be Together. That's the track. I love that woman, man. What a, I don't know if you've ever gotten the chance to meet her or talk with her, but what a fucking badass. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's just, you know, I mean, this is a woman who, you know, famously, of course, once snuck acid into the White House intending to, try, to you know, give it to Nixon. Oh, yeah. 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 I was talking about that one. That's, that's incredible. That's great. But then, of course, they were, they were all on a list, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? They probably uh, well, I've, away, I've never but... asked this question of anybody before, but if you could do acid with one politician, who would it be? Great question. It depends on what yeah, kind of you results want good, you want to render. Yeah, you want a good, you want a good, you want a well, okay, let's put it in a positive way. Someone you think it would be fun to trip with. Barack Obama. I think Bernie Sanders would be an absolute blast, you know? Uh, yes. I identify a bit with his rhetoric. I think maybe there's something there would be entertaining. 
but it wouldn't it wouldn't I wouldn't turn down the opportunity to take LSD with Donald Trump either. I think that could also be a very interesting experience. Oh my god, I would probably kill myself. But I think he would uh, <laughs> I think he might actually lose himself. I, I think he might have a, an ego trip so massive that he has an aneurysm. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's well beyond my realm, dude. But you know, I think oh, that would right. be yeah, I don't even think Hunter Thompson would go there. I just kind of check out. Well, on that note, because I do love the fact that we're wrapping up on a question I literally have never asked in the history of mankind before. It's always right. a challenge for me to come up with new questions. So I think that's know, a good one, Steve. We should when, when, when you get to make the film, the Greta Van Fleet anthology series, yeah. I think there needs to be a scene of you of there tripping on acid with an actor portraying Bernie Sanders, if mm -hmm. not Bernie Sanders himself. I think, I think that sounds very, very good. And I think that, that we wouldn't have a, a successful piece without it, you know. Not success in terms of, uh, of, of mass popularity, but in terms of just making a good piece of art. But that'd be successful. But I, I think agree. we can also get on board with that. <laughs> I feel like Bernie would actually, yeah, appreciate it, you know. I think so. <laughs> I think we'd probably get him to do it. He'd be into it. Yeah. Cool. All right, you guys, take it easy. Great talking to you. Great talking to you. Thanks. To you. always a good time. Thanks, man. Have a good one. See you guys you soon. Too. Hopefully, we'll see you in LA soon. Yeah, sounds like a deal. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to my turning point with special guest Greta Van Fleet. Thanks. In New Hampshire, all roads lead to adventure. The Granite State isn't only home to New England's tallest peaks. You'll also find epic coastal views and charming towns perfect to explore on a summer trip. Whether you're seeking the adrenaline rush that comes from kayaking rapids or the peaceful chill that comes from enjoying a cocktail on the porch of a classic B&B, there's something for everyone in New Hampshire. For more summer inspiration, go to visitnh.gov. That's visitnh.gov. Discover your new. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.